Good morning. Before we enter the exciting and never awkward topic of loving your own body, I want to talk about our devotional guide for a moment. Uh, Our devotional guide starts on Tuesday. This is a way for us as a church family to kind of be aligned. We're all kind of doing the same thing together as we uh, engage with the suffering of Jesus on our way to celebrating Easter. If you haven't been here for Easter before, it's a good time. We, uh, we have a little bit of a party. It's, it's quite, quite fun. But uh, we acknowledge that to get to that resurrection day, there had to be uh, suffering and a cross first. And so this devotional guide is, is very short, just a couple pages of reading and prayer uh, that helps us stay aligned as a church family. Uh, now, for the second week in a row, the first service has taken all of the physical copies of the devotional guides and left you with zero. So, uh, but... Uh, fortunately, you all have a second brain in your pocket, and if you got that out and you downloaded the app for Cicero Christian Church, the devotional guide's on the app. So I'll show you. I'll walk you through this really quick uh, so you can find it. If you go to the home screen of the app, there's a button in the middle at the bottom. You press that button, and it will take you to the screen where you can uh, click on the, the 40 Days in the Wilderness devotional guide. This starts on Tuesday, so we invite you all to do this uh, together with us. It's, it's really easy, and if you miss a day, no, no one will know. It's just between you and God, and we'll just pick up the next day, and, and we'll move on. But um, I just want to invite you into this process so that we're, we're engaging with the suffering of Jesus so that when Easter comes, we know exactly what we're celebrating, and we will um, blow the roof off this place figuratively. One day, maybe literally, because that sounds pretty cool, but... <clears throat> Okay, back to loving our own bodies. Yes, so we started last week uh, this uh, conversation about um, these last two words at the end of the second greatest commandment. So we know the first greatest commandment, Jesus says, he's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. That's what you were made for. And here's how you do that. He kind of gave a second greatest commandment, also quoted from the Old Testament, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we talk a lot about loving God with all our heart, soul, and strength. It's really important. It's part of you know, what, what we're here for. We also, we also talk a lot about loving our neighbors, right? But sometimes we overlook those last two words, the as yourself part. Why is that there? Why does it, why does it matter how we treat ourselves as long as we treat God and others correctly? Well, I think what God knows that we need to be educated on is that how we think of ourselves impacts how we love God and others. That if we don't have the right view of ourselves and if we don't care for ourselves in ways that God intends, then we're actually not going to be able to love people well. I mean, you know the truth of this. If you're unhealthy, it's hard to help other people get healthy. What do they say when you take a flight about the oxygen masks that come down from the ceiling, which you hope never happens to you? What do they say? Put yours on first, right? Why? You're no good if you're passed out right? That you help no one if you're unconscious. So put your mask on first. That's kind of what we're talking about. We got to care for ourselves so that we're healthy enough to care for others. And one way we do that is by how we think about and treat our bodies. I'm going to say the word body a lot. It's kind of, it, if you've ever done wrestling, it'll make you think about wrestling practice. That's what we're going to do. Here's, uh, here's what I've noticed. I kind of watch these lists every now and then of the countries with the highest life expectancy. When I think about where I want to live when I retire, um, and it's, it's going to be Italy or Spain or Japan. Like the life expectancy is like 85 in those three countries. When you look at the top 25, you will not see the United States on the highest life expectancy in the uh, countries in the world. 
We're, we're way down at 75. And you're like, 75 is pretty good. Some of you are already past that. You're like living on borrowed time. It's great, right? <clears throat> that sounded worse than I meant for it to. Let's uh, strike that from the, do we have an edit button? No. Anyway, what I meant was, thank you. Uh, it's time to recover. So even though the U.S. has fewer health risks than a lot of other places in the world, our life expectancy is not as good. Something else uh, that plays into this is uh, factors like obesity, heart disease, uh, diabetes, drug and alcohol addiction, and pornography use are higher in the U.S. than a lot of these other countries that have higher life expectancies. And we kind of go like, what is going on here? I think what's happening is there's a message that our culture sends to us about how we view our bodies that is just not true, and it's definitely not helpful. Here's the message I think culture gives us about our bodies. It's that the most important things about your body are how other people see it and how it can bring you pleasure. Think about the commercials that you see on TV, the shows that you uh, watch, the movies, the social media posts that you see, the music that you listen to. Anytime something happens that's involving a human body, it's one of these two things. It's how do other people see it and how can it bring you pleasure? Are those really the most important things about our bodies? If they are, uh, we've got some problems. And it shows up in some pretty extreme ways in history. Uh, there's a preacher down in Arkansas who did some work on this, and he made a connection between two of uh, some of the most meaningful historical events of the last 75 years or so, the Holocaust and the sexual revolution. And he says both of these are related to how human beings think about and, and view our bodies. Now, here's, here's what he says. Both movements, the sexual revolution and the Holocaust, are built on the same basic philosophy, the belief that human bodies don't really matter. The idea that human dignity is not inherent to everyone in the same way, and that your physical self, unless you are young, fit, and beautiful, is largely irrelevant. He says that's the mindset behind the Holocaust, where a group of people said these other people aren't valuable because of their physical traits, and the sexual revolution that basically said it doesn't really matter, we just need to have a good time, and our bodies are just kind of a vehicle for pleasure, right? That's the cultural message. And it's just not true. And it's definitely not helpful. So what, what does God say, the one who created us, what does he say about our bodies? So we're going to walk through uh, kind of a theology of the body for a few minutes here, and then we'll get to some practical application at the end. But here's just kind of a summary of what I found walking through this concept of, of how we're supposed to view our physical selves. Um, and that is uh, that honoring our bodies helps us live our created purpose to love God and love people. Honoring our bodies helps us live our created purpose to love God and love people. Now, let me show you kind of how I got there. We start with creation. Everything starts in Genesis, by the way. That's why it's at the beginning, and that's, why, that's what Genesis means, beginnings. Everything starts with Genesis, and so in Genesis chapter 1, God creates human beings, male and female, in his image. And then he gives them some instructions about what their created purpose is. And here's what he says in 1.28. If you see anything on the screen that's underlined, I invite you to read that aloud. God blessed them and said to them, Be 
rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So he creates human beings in his image, breathes his breath of life into them, and then tells them things to do that they can only do with a body. Be fruitful and increase in number. Got to have a body for that. If you don't understand that, ask your parents. Okay, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, to, to cultivate creation and bring flourishing and good out of creation requires a body to interact physically with the world. So when God made humans in his image and called them to a specific way of life, the physical body is a part of that calling. If you continue to read through the Old Testament and the covenants that God establishes with his people, there's a lot of physical activity involved, all the way from circumcision to offering sacrifices. We won't go into all of that. We're going to kind of skip all the way up to the New Testament when God decides to present himself to human beings. So before this, God shows up to humans at the temple where uh, his spirit can be present there, and human beings are very limited in how they can interact with the spirit of God in the temple. But in the New Testament, God decides to show up in a way that he can interact directly with human beings. And how does he do that? Jesus, right? Jesus, who has a physical presence. He's in a body. This is what John says in John 1.14. Let's read this. Are you ready? Let's do it anyway. Um, John 1.14. The word... You were ready. You just didn't want to tell me. Okay, the word became flesh. God inhabits a physical body so that as he shows people, Jesus shows people what God is like and what human beings are made for, he is touching people, looking them in the eye. He's experiencing hunger and thirst. And he heals. He, he meets people whose physical limitations are representative of the power of sin and death in the world. And he comes to represent the power of the kingdom of God over sin and death and over brokenness. And he makes whole things that have been broken by the world. Jesus demonstrates that his physical presence is a part of who he is. It's a part of who we are. This is very evident in his death and resurrection. So Jesus dies a physical death. He's crucified on a cross in front of hundreds of people. People watch Jesus die physically. And then, a few days later, there are these rumors that he's not dead anymore, that he's been seen, and people have spoken to him. And the disciples get together, and they're talking about this. Let's read some from Luke chapter 24. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands, my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. Jesus makes a very strong point that he is risen in a physical form. Like he's not just a disembodied spirit that is going to experience eternal life in an ephemeral form. Jesus has a physical resurrected body. And he goes to some lengths to demonstrate that to the disciples. He says, touch me. I'm going to eat some food in front of you. I want you to know that I, I have a physical resurrected 
body. That was important for him to communicate that to them. And I promise not to go down the rabbit trail of ghosts. What was going on here with the ghost thing? We'll talk about it later. Don't worry about it. Uh, Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians. He's talking to the church in Corinth. They have a lot of questions, as do we, and it's comforting sometimes to know that questions Christians had 2,000 years ago are sound a lot like the questions Christians have today. And he's talking to them about resurrection. There have been people come through their church saying that Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, at least not physically. There's some talk about whether resurrection is really even possible or what God intends. And Paul sets the record straight in the beginning of uh, 1 Corinthians 15 by saying like, hey, the resurrection of Jesus is really at the heart of the gospel. It's what we believe, that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And then he starts to address some questions about, well, what, what does resurrection look like? Like, what does new life look like? Is that, is that going to be a physical body? And so he, he's going to address that here in this passage um, from 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 40. He says, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is, of, is one kind, the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the star differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Paul says that the bodies we have now are limited and they're perishable, right? They're not going to last forever. They're not made to last forever. But these glorified bodies that people in Christ will have after this body dies will be Eternal. They'll be made to last forever. But he's still using the concept of a body. He's still talking about some kind of physical form that's going to be made to live out a created purpose forever. So while Paul didn't exactly answer the question the way we wish he had, like, what, what, what do you mean exactly by, you know, a, a heavenly body? He does confirm for the people that there is going to be this this embodied representation of our eternal life, that in order to live out our created purpose, remember, this goes back to Genesis and our created purpose, in order to live that out, there has to be a way for us to interact with each other and with the created world. And so that's going to require a body, but it's a, it's a different kind of body, and whatever that means, we'll find out when we get there, right? So all of this, I think, just clarifies for us the, where we started, that um, our bodies matter. We can't separate them out like our culture wants us to and say, well, you're a self and you're a spirit and, and you're a soul, and so what you do with your body doesn't really matter. That's a philosophy that's been around for thousands of years, and it's just not true. What's true is our bodies matter, and God gave them to us for a reason. So what are we supposed to do? So I want to look at this passage from 1 Corinthians also. Again, these people had a lot of questions that are very much like the questions we have. And uh, Paul in chapter 6 is going to talk about sexuality. And he's talking about this because in in their culture, religion involved sexuality. There was uh, these pagan temples where you could go and worship, and there would be prostitutes there. And that was a part of how people worshiped. And so now Paul's inviting people to come and worship God and, and Jesus, and they're, they've got questions about how sexuality plays into all this. And so he talks about the, the way that God set up human sexuality to work, and then 
in the middle of that conversation, he says this from uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that? Ooh, that's good. Let's, do, let's read that again. Do you not know that? Who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, I got excited, sorry. Paul says, what we do with our bodies matters. And he's talking about this in the context of, of sexual immorality. But I think the application is broad. If our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and Paul would say, you are not your own. Your body actually is not your own. It belongs to God. He bought it and paid for it. Then what we do with our bodies matters, right? Imagine this scenario. Uh, I am standing with you and we're talking to someone that you care about, someone that you respect. Maybe it's, your, maybe it's a, a child, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a, a parent, maybe it's your mom. We're talking, we're standing here, we're talking, and I take your hand and I use your hand to smack the person that you care about. Now what, what levels of wrong have happened here? <laughs> Let's talk about that. Well, first, I have disrespected the person that you care about. But I've also disrespected you, haven't I? By using your hand to do something that you would not have done. If our bodies belong to God and we use them in ways that do not reflect our created purpose, we have not only dishonored others and ourselves, but ultimately we've dishonored God. What we do with our bodies matters because we're not just spirits that are temporarily inhabiting a physical form. We can't really separate the physical from the spiritual, from the emotional, from the mental. It's all part of self. So how do we honor God? How do we honor our bodies in ways that help us to live out our created purpose? So let's talk about just a few aspects of our physical form and, and what we do with these and how maybe we can start to think about these in, uh, in light of the reality that our bodies belong to God. If you're, if you're a Jesus follower, your body belongs to God and what you do with it matters. How can we think about that? First, let's talk about eating. That's fun to talk about, isn't it? I like to eat and I think liking to eat is a gift from God. I think he gave that to us on purpose. There's a lot of language in scripture about feasting, right? It's kind of a big deal. It's an important thing. So eating is good. Overeating, not so good. It's one of those um, kind of ways that we cross the line that has become sort of a joke in our modern Christian subculture. We joke about overeating, right? Well, Thanksgiving, I'm going to put my stretchy pants on because I'm going to be overeating, you know, and we, we joke about it. But overeating is actually not honoring to our bodies, and it's actually not honoring to people who don't have enough to eat, by the way. Uh, wasting food and overeating is dishonoring to people that don't have enough. So we gotta, we gotta think about that. So uh, we need to think about how we eat, what we eat, is it honoring to our bodies? But then we also, uh, hand in hand with that, we need to think about fasting. Fasting is a way to say, I am created with a physical appetite for food, and it's a good thing. God put this in me, it's part of how I was made, but I will not be controlled by it. I will not be controlled by my physical appetite for food. In fact, I can set aside my appetite for food for a time so that I can focus on spiritual things. That's what, that's what fasting is about. I'm not going to be controlled by my physical appetite. I can set it aside for a time. 
So we think about eating and fasting together as ways that we honor our bodies. Next, we'll, we'll talk about activity or exercise and rest. Activity, physical activity is good. It's good for you. Any doctor will tell you, even psychologists will tell you, it's good for you to have physical activity in your life. It affects your brain. It affects your mood. All of those things, it's good. But also rest is good. And what we don't want to do is live lives that look like we're worshiping activity or busyness or having a full calendar. We acknowledge that activity and the the ability to do things is good and it's a gift from God, but I will not be controlled by it. And the principle of the Sabbath is saying, I'm not going to be controlled by busyness. I'm not going to be controlled by obligations. I can actually set all that aside for one day a week to focus on spiritual things. So we think about exercise or activity hand in hand with rest and as ways to honor our bodies. Okay, next we'll talk about sexuality and abstinence. Just like we're made with these appetites for food and for activity, we're created with the capacity for sexual intimacy. It's a gift from God. It's a good thing, right? But we will not be controlled by it. We will not be defined by it. And so as Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, remember that's the context of him saying your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul acknowledges that there, God created our capacity for sexual intimacy to operate within certain boundaries. And when we operate within those boundaries, we honor God with our sexuality. When we operate outside of those, we dishonor God, others, and ourselves. And abstinence is a way, even within the context of the boundaries God has created, even in the context of a marriage, abstinence for a period of time is a way to say, I'm not going to be controlled by my appetite for sexual intimacy. I can set it aside for a time to focus on spiritual things. So we we think about these things together, eating and fasting, activity and rest, sexuality and abstinence. And um, I I want to kind of, as a side note, uh, share this quote from uh, Pope John Paul II. He wrote uh, a short thousand-page document on the theology of the body. Is this something that interests you? It's pretty good, I think. I haven't read all of it, to be honest. Um, but what I've read of it, it's, it's really good. It's quite thorough, as you can imagine. But this really jumped out at me. He says, there is no dignity when the human dimension is eliminated from the person. In short, the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much of the person, but too little. Because you cannot separate someone's physical self from their soul, their spiritual self. And that's what pornography does. It tries to separate those two. It's just an illusion. You can't actually do that. So what we do with our bodies and actually how we view the bodies of others, it matters. It's either honoring to God and our creative purpose or it's not. Okay, I want to talk just for a minute about the reality that we have uh, limitations to, to, what we, to what our bodies can do and how they function, right? Does everyone agree that our bodies have limitations? <laughs> so the older you are, the more quickly you agree with that. And you're like, yep, I recognized those limitations this morning when I tried to get out of bed. Yep, my body has limitations. Because of the fallenness of the world and the temporary nature of these physical forms, our bodies have limitations, and these limitations can range from 
uh, sickness, disease, to physical and mental disabilities, to a whole range of other limitations that our bodies can experience. So what do we do with that? When we acknowledge that Jesus came and he healed people that were experiencing physical brokenness, but not everyone. And even today, I believe Jesus heals people. I don't know if you guys are aware of the, um, the story we've been following. The worship pastor from Awaken City Church, the church that we've been praying for in Harriman, Utah, last Sunday, while he was leading worship, his, his aorta exploded, and he collapsed on the stage, and he should have died. And yesterday, he posted on Facebook that God was healing him. Is that not amazing? That's amazing. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's clap for that. And by the same token, we acknowledge that not everyone gets healed. Not everyone who has faith gets healed. So what do we do with the limitations that are on our bodies and on the bodies of people that we love and care about? We lean into the promise of the glorified body, the resurrected body that will be made to function as we were created to function for all eternity. We just lean into that. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but it's a promise from God. We believe in it. We trust it. We put our hope in it. So that while we deal with physical limitations here, we acknowledge that they cannot keep us from being who God created us to be. And that one day, we'll be set free from those limitations. That's what our hope is. So uh, we put all this together, we acknowledge that our bodies matter, and we acknowledge that this has been an awkward conversation on some levels, because we don't talk about this a whole lot in church, and I've said the word body just too many times, but if, when you follow this through scripture, you recognize this matters to God, and if it matters to God, it matters to us, and the message that our culture is giving us, that the most important things about your body is how other people see it, or how it can bring you pleasure, are just not true or helpful. But if we honor our bodies, it helps us live our created purpose, to love God and love people. So I just want to ask you to think about the ways that you can care for your body this week. Is it through eating or fasting? Is it through maybe rethinking your activity versus your rest? Is it through maybe rethinking your sexuality versus abstinence? Is it through putting your hope for freedom from physical limitations and the promise of God? So I want to invite you to pray with me about this. Would you go ahead and stand? And we're just going to offer this time to God to say something that we don't say a lot. But God, thank you for our bodies and help us to honor our bodies in ways that help us live out our created purpose. Because when we're healthy, we can help others. When we're unhealthy, it really hurts our ability to help others. So let's, let's bring this to God. Father, thank you so much for... Uh, the gift of the physical body and just what we're able uh, to experience in this world. Uh, we also acknowledge the limitations. We acknowledge the ways that our, our hungers and our appetites can control us. We acknowledge the ways that the world sends us false messages about what really matters most. So we ask that you would embed the truth in our hearts deep and that our actions would reflect an alignment with you and how you see us as whole people heart, mind, and body. And may we agree with you in that. May we honor our bodies in a way that honors you and your created purpose. And we pray that you would use us as we do that to be a blessing to the people around us, to meet needs, to invite others to life with Jesus.
May we see good things happen to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.